At Highland, we're all about celebrating little wins and little ways to innovate digital processes. There's no customer pain point too small for us to help with. Maybe that's why more than half of the Fortune 100 looks to Highland to connect their content and data, improve processes, and turn little efficiencies into big wins for their customers and clients. Highland, intelligent content solutions for innovators everywhere at highland.com. Here at Just Baseball, we have teamed up with BetMGM for the 2023 MLB season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use code JUSTBASEBALL, and you will get up to a $1,000 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Step number one, download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code JUSTBASEBALL. Step number two, deposit at least $10 and place your first wager on any game. Step number three, you will receive up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your bet loses. Just make sure you use bonus code JUSTBASEBALL when you sign up. Disclaimer, 21 plus to wager. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. U.S. promotional offers not available in Washington, D.C., Mississippi, Nevada, New York, and Ontario. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in Colorado, Washington, D.C., Illinois, Indiana, Louisiana, Maryland, Mississippi, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia and Wyoming. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY to 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. Call 1-800-522-4700 in Kansas and Nevada. Call 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. Call 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. Call 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code JUSTBASEBALL and get your $1,000 first bet offer today. Episode of the Just Baseball Show for Tuesday, May 16th. Jack Aram Wilson Contreras is catching again. That was uh, a great saga. Also, happy belated Matt McLean Day. He was the two-inning yeah. shortstop last night for the Cincinnati Reds. We'll talk about that. Talk about what's going on in the NL West between the Dodgers uh, and the Padres with a little bit of Arizona sprinkled in as well. Then we've got some hot Mays. What's going on with the Wilson thing, man? First of all, is there anything non-baseball you want to talk about off the top? No, no, not really. Um, yeah, I, life's been pretty, pretty status quo. Uh, I got nothing, nothing that's bothered me necessarily, because that's usually the only reason I come up with something off the top. So yeah. nothing crazy. Um, but that Wilson Contreras thing was kind of something I was very, uh, very eager to talk about again, just because we're not going to rehash the whole thing. I just think again, they continue to show how haphazard I think the decision making is when you do something like this. Also, and I hate piling on the Cardinals because I really like the Cardinals organization. My my girlfriend's whole family is like a lineage, like going back like to, to like the beginning of the Cardinals of of just fandom there. But right. 
dude, like the Jack Flaherty addressing the media was a tough look. Like I, I can get outs at any velocity. So I, I get that he's frustrated about being asked about his velocity because let's be real. It's injury related. It's because his shoulder and his elbow. And um, I, I get it. I, I'd be very frustrated too, but like, that's, Probably not the best way to go about it, but again, that's that's a guy that's dealt with a lot of injuries. I, I I give him the benefit of the doubt there, but I'm imagining if that's the way he's reacting there, like what were those meetings looking like with Wilson Contreras, where it's like you know everyone says not to point the fingers, but and then everyone's pointing fingers. So I just think it's nuts that they made this whole media shit show. It'll happen just to have him right back behind the dish again. Like w- w- what are we doing? So the Wilson Contreras thing that we are referring to, and, you know, we pretty much spent an entire episode talking about it literally last week. I mean, this Wilson Contreras thing went down on May 6th. They announced that Wilson was not going to be catching for the foreseeable future. He was going to DH. He was going to play some corner outfield. And then John Moselock said he wasn't going to play any corner outfield. So he was going to DH for the next several weeks. We were under the understanding that, like, Kisner and Barrera would be the catching tandem for a month or more. And here we go on May 14th, this article drops. And on May 15th, Wilson Contreras is back catching for the St. Louis Cardinals nine days after it was announced that Wilson was no longer catching for the St. Louis Cardinals. I mean, again, we talked about the panic and, and how that is bleeding into transactions that are being made, how that is bleeding into Ali Marmol addressing the media. And this is another point of panic where I think they look at what they did on May 6th and said, well, that was really freaking stupid. And then they work back and they negate everything they said last week. I mean, this is a shit show right now. It's it's pretty embarrassing. And this quote is the funniest from Ali Marmol. This was uh, via John Denton of MLB.com. Yeah. We felt really good about the progress that we've made, and it lines up really well for him to catch on Monday with Jack Flaherty on the mound. That what? Was Ali Marmol. What fucking progress did this guy make? It's been a week. There's no way that he's made any massive progress in anything that they needed to see. Regardless, like, here we are. He's back catching again. Um, but yeah, it's just like I, I do wonder at what point do they? And I think it's 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 transcends Marmol. I think you know you're seeing some things in the front office that you know are, are uncharacter uncharacteristically shaky. But yeah. I, I mean, I wonder if this team's. I mean, they're starting to play better. They had a nice series in Boston. For sure. But I do wonder, like you know, if if things don't go well by the end of the season with just how haphazard everything has been. I wonder how long Ali Marmol makes it. I I don't know. And like, I was trying to think about, I, I think the best way to look at the coaching carousel thing is college basketball, college football. Um, Cause usually you see the quick hooks there. If you see any of them, um, you know, the NBA, but the NBA is such a unique situation because Monty Williams, I mean, the Suns were great. And then Monty Williams got fired out of nowhere. It was really weird, but it doesn't really make sense. You know, I was thinking like the Willie Taggart situation at Florida State. I was also thinking the Kenny Payne Louisville situation. Louisville basketball hired Kenny Payne to be the head coach last year, and they won two or three games. It was the worst year in program history, and he enters this year on the hot seat. Ali Marmol was the young and exciting hire after Mike Schilt was surprisingly let go, which I yep. think everybody knows in hindsight was the wrong decisions. Yes. Um 
That's actually a great point. That's that's kind of the first domino of this kind of chaos. It absolutely was the first domino. For some reason, they wanted to move off Mike Schilt. Which reason? I don't know. Was he not as analytical a thinker as you were hoping that he was going to be? Like, did the Cardinals want to get a bit newer school and get rid of the old school guy? Look at the king of the pre-arb deal. Look at the best exec in baseball right now. Alex Anthopoulos with the spiked up hair has Brian fucking Snitker in the dugout. Those guys couldn't be more different. Click and Dusty Baker won a World Series last year. Those guys couldn't be more different. You should have old school and new school. I thought it was really stupid to let Schilt go. Um, I thought it in the moment. I'm really glad that I've been proven right. I'm not glad because Ali Marmol, I think, will be out of a job soon. You think but- so? Like, here's the thing. What if they play well? Like, they won three straight in Boston. If they turn it – like, what is the tipping point? Because I do think that last year was – by any stretch of the imagination was a disappointment at the end of the day, you know, where they came up short in the postseason, that was a disappointment. They had a great regular season. Even if they turn this thing around and get bounced in the first round again, I still think that you probably let him go. Right. So I I think they'd really have to have like an, a really impressive turnaround and play pretty well in the postseason. Bigger than that. And like, Listen, it probably isn't bigger than that, but in the scope of the St. Louis Cardinals, it may feel bigger than that. He's got to have support of the clubhouse. Like, he has to have a player's vote of confidence, and we've talked about that. That's been well-documented on this show. I don't think the manager of the St. Louis Cardinals has the blessing of the St. Louis Cardinals clubhouse whatsoever. Yeah, I mean, I, I would love to take a, a, a you know anonymous survey there. I would love to see what, what they'd have to right. say. because Just approval rating, man. I want to know. Yeah, I would love to know that. So, yeah, I, I think his time is ticking here. Um, I thought this was a pretty stupid thing. If you're going to dig your heels in on your $90 million catcher, not catching, have it be for more than nine days. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and he's coming back with the guy in Jack Flaherty who lashed out at the media and said, I can get outs at any speed. Eh, it's a lot harder to get outs at 86, 87, Jack. Yeah, it just objectively is. And and I feel for him given all of his struggles, you know, health-wise. But, I mean, they, they, they got to ask that question. I didn't mind him getting frustrated. What I minded, where I got bothered was like, if you're asking me this question, you don't know anything about pitching. Like, yeah, false. Like gaslighting is that. Like that that's just ridiculous. Like, that. that's just, like, they got to ask you the question. I thought the reporters handled it relatively well. Actually, very well. There, there are a ton of pros in that market, too. I mean, we know Katie and, and Derek Katie Gold is really good. There are a bunch of other great beat writers in the St. Louis area. Um, so we'll move off of St. Louis and get to something awesome. Again, happy belated Matt McLean Day, the shortstop for the Cincinnati Reds. Uh, it was the two-hitter last night in Colorado. McLean, I just want to run through his numbers real quick, and then you give me the breakdown because this is a top 100 guy on just baseball's list. No Matt McLean, what? Nowhere else, though. Nowhere else? Are we the only one with McLean in the top 100? At least at the start of the season, we were the How only ones. That? We were the only ones with Mason Miller in the top 100 at the start of the season. I think Fangraphs, too. Fangraphs had Miller? Okay. Um, but Matt McLean, a top 100 prospect, according to just baseball, 38 games in AAA to start this year. Also, holy shit, we're already 38 games into the minor league season. That's kind of crazy. Yeah. But... 38 games, he slashed 348, 474, 710. That's an 1184 OPS. 12 doubles, 12 homers, 40 RBIs, 
10 bags, a 17% walk rate, a 20% K rate, a 193 WRC plus, where he ranks in AAA baseball. So the PCL and the International League together. First in OPS, just ahead of Christopher Morell, who was killing the ball. Tied for third in homers, only behind Luke and Baker in Memphis and Joe Adele. Third in Two yeah. power guys, like just two two point blank power guys. Exactly. Like, and like not prospects anymore. Adele was graduated from all of his cameos and Baker's like 27, 28 years old. Third in RBIs, second in slugging only to Morel. Second in extra base hits only to Ronnie Mauricio. Shout out Ronnie Mauricio. And first in AAA baseball in total bases. This guy with, with 24 games at short, 13 games at second was probably the best player in AAA baseball through the first month and a half of the minor league season. I, I think so. Um, I think when you you know factor in he's playing shortstop at a, at a high level, he's stealing bags, hitting for power, walking, like you mentioned, like the, the near 500 on base. What what was the on-base percentage again? Uh, OBP was 474. Yeah, like, dude, what the hell is that? Oh, 1184 OPS? Like, What's amazing with McLean, so I was talking about this last uh, about like what the deal was last year because he didn't have a bad year, but it wasn't like it was the year that kind of made him fall off of top prospect list, which was interesting because he's kind of fast track to double A. I think he was trying to make the adjustment, and in doing so, he's like, Well, maybe be a patient hitter, I'm not going to expand the zone, and I'm just going to hit strikes. And I think he was too passive. And I always talk about the, the towing the line of patience and passiveness. Patience is a guy with a low chase rate who walks and, you know, swings in the right spots. Passiveness is a guy that, you know, maybe takes hittable pitches and puts himself in too many two strike counts when, you know, you don't want to take everything, right? Like you you don't want to just always be letting pitches go. There's a lot of spots where you want to be a little aggressive. So I think he was passive in double A and that resulted in a higher strikeout rate because the swing and miss wasn't bad. Um, I mean, the swing looks good and it just, it seemed like that to me. So now he comes in this year, he's a little bit more aggressive, but he still has that patience. So he's walking, he's hitting for power because he's, you know, not letting those, those hittable pitches go. And he's added a little bit more juice so now he's kind of just checking every box. I, another one of those guys where I think it's really hard to poke a hole in his game. And if you look at it from a major league baseball standpoint for the Cincinnati Reds, like I, I know they're not competing for a World Series, but you know they just had a nice series in, in Miami. They're, they're, they're hanging around. And this makes them better. I mean, their shortstop position was as bad as any in baseball. And even if McLean is a little slow out of the gate, he brings his speed. He's a good defender. He's going to run into some baseballs, especially in Great American Ballpark. Um, he makes the Reds better right away, whether he gets off to a hot start or not. So that's what I'm really excited about, too. But I think he is going to play perfectly in Great American Ballpark. A guy with slightly above average power, that power is going to play up. Yeah, 100%. Um, you know, the conversation that we have regarding McLean on the call-up recently, when we've talked about him, when we've done the Reds' top 10, uh, when we've talked about guys that are off to a great start of the year, even when we did our top 100 rundown, the, the word that jumps out about McLean is floor. Like, this guy is as high a floor of a top 100 guy as you will find in Major League Baseball or in Minor League Baseball, I yeah. guess. Yeah. McLean, the safety of Matt McLean hedges – the massive volatility of the best prospect in baseball in Ellie De La Cruz. So while you can dream on this middle infield tandem for the next decade of Ellie De La Cruz at short and Matt McClain at second, you know that you are getting a very safe prospect in McClain and you're getting a meteoric prospect in Ellie De La Cruz. And I think that 
you can get excited about both of those things. And I think that you can get excited about McLean in the same way that you got excited about a rookie Jonathan India in 2021 and a rookie Spencer Steer at the end of last year. I think that there is a, a ton of reason to be amped for a guy that won't be the flashiest coming up because he's going to give you a WRC plus well over a hundred and he's going to accumulate war over the course of this season. View this guy in the same light as you viewed Spencer steer. I was going to say, he's almost a blend of steer and, and India to me um, in a good way. Like I think he, he, it's more well-rounded. I think he's, he's a more well-rounded player than both of those guys. Will he be as good as John India? We'll find out because at the end of the day, the goal of the sport is to hit and Jonathan India can really hit. But yeah. I think in terms of in the entire skill set, McLean is is really, really well-rounded. So I'm excited about that. The one last note I'll make on him too is, you know, I, I think he was as big league ready as they come. You look at like who he was getting hits off of, who a lot of his home runs were off of, you know, solo oppo shot off of Gavin Williams in a start where Gavin Williams was absolutely lights out. Like that was the only hit he really gave up that game. I think it was the only run. Um, you know, he's also taken guys like Tim Heron deep, who's a big league reliever, Hunter Gaddis. He took deep like Kyle Hendricks, which might not be saying much, but like he was taking a lot of big league or top prospects arms out, which I, I think it does matter who you're doing it against too. He wasn't just feasting on, you know, some of the lesser competition in AAA. So Louisville has the best lineup in minor league baseball right now, I think, or I guess they did this past weekend, right? With McLean up now, Will Benson was optioned. Benson is in that lineup. But the other two guys that really jump out here are Christian Encarnacion Strand, who was acquired from the Twins organization in the Tyler Malley deal last year, and L.A. De La Cruz, who again is just baseball's number one overall prospect. Christian Encarnacion Strand, since coming off the I.L. in 19 games with AAA Louisville, He's hitting 341 with an OPS at 1077. He's got nine homers and 18 driven in in 19 games. Ellie De La Cruz, since coming off the IL, huh. 21 games, a 960 OPS, six doubles, six homers, 17 RBIs, and four backs. Both these guys have been elite, along with McLean, who is the best player in AAA baseball. So now the question becomes, McLean's up. When does CES join him? When does Ellie De La Cruz join him? Yeah, I think it's a great question. Um, and I think both of those guys getting late starts, you know, kind of makes it a little bit you know, of, of a slower turnaround in terms of like when we're going to see them get up now. Um, yeah. But I love the way it lines up because now you got an opportunity to play McLean every day at shortstop, give him that audition and if McLean performs, like if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Like if he's performing, you, you he forces you to make a decision now where maybe you get Ellie some reps at third. Right. Uh, maybe McLean starts to get some reps in another spot. Uh, and, but I, I think it's a really way, fun conversation. And by the way, third base is like the one spot that they don't really have down pat right now. No, and Ellie could be an elite defensive third baseman, like elite. And, and I know people are like, oh, but he's the shortstop, whatever. If McLean's playing well, that could just be a left side of the infield that is awesome uh, and dynamic. So I think that's why it's great that you can get this Matt McClain audition at shortstop because if he performs, okay, that's great. You got a good problem on your hands. And I think that's what they want to find out here. Christian Encarnacion Strand is, is nuts to me because he like has a red flag in every single like approach and like kind of 
I wouldn't say bad at ball because he hits the crap out of the ball. No, but, but he's in terms of just twice like, in a hundred plate appearances, yeah. right? Forty six percent chase rate, eighteen point five percent swinging strike rate. Both of those are massive red flags, yeah. and a sixty percent swing rate, seventy five percent zone contact. Like all of those are red flags. But he has sustained those red flags for now two years, and it's just mashed. So there's some guys that are outliers. And I think he might be an outlier. So, I, like, I would like to say traditionally, I'd be like, I'd like to see some of those metrics get a little bit better, you know, this and that. But these metrics have looked like this for a while. And yeah. he has maintained a sub 30% K rate. And he continues to hit the shit out of the ball. So maybe at a certain point, you just got to say, hey, let the metrics be the metrics. And let's see what this guy does at the big league level. And <laughs> yeah. this might just be a dude that hits. And I will tell you, any guy I've talked to that's faced him, double A, triple A, you know, opposing teams, everybody, I get the same thing. God, that guy knows how to hit, which is funny because the metrics say he doesn't in right. terms of like approach and stuff like that. But this guy, he knows himself. He gets his, he won't walk. He might be a frustrating streaky player, but I, again, like I'm not going to argue with some of the better hitters in the minor leagues that have told me that. And you can't argue with the numbers. So this is an outlier guy and I love it. So I can't wait to see what he would do in great American ballpark. He could hit 40 there. Exactly. And and the thing is, he is not the freak athlete that Javi Baez or Luis Robert is. And when you think free swingers that, you know, have massive red flags that for the most part were ignored and they were, you know, some of the most talented players in baseball at a certain point in a certain year, Robert more recently than Baez. But I mean, dude, Javi Baez finished what second or third in NL MVP voting not too long ago. Yeah. Baez had an OPS over 900 in 2021. Um, I mean, these guys are good enough, and we make fun of Baez all the time. We make fun of Luis Robert all the time. But when things are going good, oh, my God, is it fun. Yeah. And when things are going good for this guy, again, he could hit 40 at Great American Ballpark. Yep. So my thought is as simple and as non-metric as it can be, ride this hot hand. It might be time to just see Christian Encarnacion strength. Yeah, like I don't know what else he really needs to do. Like, he, is he going to magically have a, a better approach? Like, he's always going to have a weird approach. Just, just let him go. Uh, so, I, I agree. I think, I think we see him next too. I think we see him very soon. Okay, interesting. Um, moving to the NL West real quick. The note that I had here that I texted you was the Dodgers are dodgering while the Padres are padring. And what I mean by that is the LA Dodgers are 8 and 2 over their last 10. They've won 5 in a row including a weekend a weekend sweep of the San Diego Padres in LA. The Padres have lost 5 in a row. They are 3 games under 500 as we talk right now. They are 19 and 22 as of 4:10 p.m. on Monday, May 15th. Yeah. Couple of notes that I have here. Let's start with the Dodgers. Three guys have an OPS over 1000 in May for the LA Dodgers. Freddie Freeman, Mookie Betts, and Will Smith. Those are your three best hitters. There you That's go. Recipe to winning games. Recipe to winning games. 11 homers, 31 RBIs, and 34 combined games. James Outman, cooling off. Max Muncie, been terrible in May, hitting a buck 25, OPSing 430 in 11 games in May. But guess what? David Peralta, Chris Taylor, they're both OPSing over 950. So you've got the two guys that were good in April that have gotten bad or average if you're Outman, and you've got the two guys that were bad in April getting good in May. 
So now you look at, all right, the Dodgers are good. Why are the Padres bad? Soto's heating up. Tatis has been good, but probably not to his standards. But Xander Bogarts is OPSing under 500 in May. Cronenworth's under 600 in May. Machado still looks brutal, which is a conversation in and of itself. The Padres and Dodgers are tied for the second best staff ERA in baseball in May. Seattle's rocking a 258. The Dodgers and Padres are both sitting at a 261 staff ERA on Monday. But the Dodgers have the fourth best OPS in baseball in May. So that covers the other flip of the coin. The Padres have the fourth worst OPS in baseball in the month of May. So the bats have gone invisible for San Diego. And that's the difference here. It's pretty wild because you you look at the pitching side of things, as you mentioned for the Padres, exceeding expectations. Like if you told me the Padres would pitch this way through the beginning of the season, if you told me Seth Lugo would have a 3-1-8, I'd say, oh, wow, they're in great shape. You know, they must be doing great. If you told me Josh Hader is, you know, pitching to a one ERA, they go, they're in great shape. Uh, I think the problem, too, you talk about, like, how with the Dodgers, like, guy goes cold, another guy gets hot, uh, and, and you have enough of, like, the continuity around them to to continue to to succeed. With the Padres, it's a very, you know, top-heavy lineup. So when one guy struggles and one guy performs, it still feels like you're running on a treadmill. It's a little different. I feel, I feel like the common pieces are a lot worse. So you get a Juan Soto coming to life. But Xander Bogarts falls off, and it's like a wash. You're still you're still kind of running on that treadmill. You're treading water. Um, you know, you look at what you're not getting from Hassan Kim, Manny Machado, Jake Cronenworth. Like you said, like it's a very top heavy lineup. Um, I'm not worried about Tatis. Like he looks good overall, and I think he's going to continue to get better and better. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like at what point do you start to worry about what you're seeing from Machado? At what point do you start to worry about some of these other guys? I think they'll all get going, but I, I think this was a really big wake up call because. It was a tough stretch for the Padres. They had to play the Dodgers for three, the Twins for three in Minnesota, and then they had to travel you know, back to L.A. for three more. And they lost the majority of those, and, and including five in a row as we're recording this. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's a tough stretch, but you're the San Diego Padres. You have opened up the checkbook, and you're supposed to compete with everybody. And I think what's clear right now is that you're a full step below and, and- and you just want the test yet. And and I don't know how that gets better for them um, other than the stars performing. Right. So I, my next question was going to be, what's the fix here? Like, is it go trade for more top end talent? Like turn your big four into a big five offensively. How do you how do you navigate this? Because they are so hamstrung here, man. They could move Merrill. They could move Robbie Snelling, who we just talked about, who's had a nice start to his pro career. But Like, if anybody's going to do it, it's Preller. If anybody is going to take an already decimated farm and take the last things that have value on the market and move them for another piece in a top-heavy lineup, it's A.J. Preller. But the word that we used this offseason when they were constructing this monster was top-heavy. It was not best. We never said best lineup in baseball. We said most top-heavy lineup in baseball. Maybe the best star power in baseball. But guess what, man? Soto was shitty in April. Machado was shitty in April and May. Bogarts has been shitty in May. You can't work around that when you put all of your eggs in four baskets in a nine-man batting order. Yeah, and I think you've got some pretty big gaping holes. Like, again, we talk about how 
with the Dodgers, you can survive the streakiness because your weakest link is like a, a Jason Hayward or, or a David Peralta, right? Who have been, and Peralta has been kind of bad, but Hayward's been pretty good at the end of the day. Like it's been fine. You look at the weakest links for the Padres right now. It's the catching position. Dude, which is so bad. not a spot where you want to be bad. You're, you're, you're oscillating between Brett Sullivan and, and Austin Nola. Um, you look at the DH spot. That's a big power position. And Nelson Cruz has had a couple nice you know games, but he's still a 90 WRC plus guy thus far. He's very old. He's giving you no value otherwise. So your DH is a guy that can legitimately only DH. And that's not great when you don't really have that much of a bench so I, I don't i don't really like the situation there in terms of how much they're giving up in the dh spot and the catching spot and, and i don't think they're getting much you know it's just a really weird situation because you look at the lineup you're like tatis machado soto bogarts cronenworth like kim then cruz grisham and sullivan and ornola you're like that should be good enough but when cronenworth isn't hitting you go you 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 go from five through nine, that's a that's a really bad lineup. Like that's well, not that five through nine could be like right now production wise could be the Washington Nationals. Four through nine, man. I mean, yeah. that's the thing. Like we give Manny Machado the we give him a pass almost because his name is Machado, right? Like we give him 2022 as an excuse for the start to 2023. Well, his whole career. I mean, right, exactly. Like there, there's so much precedent for Manny Machado. But he's a 640 OPS guy so far yeah. this year. So when do you not count on him? I guess you have to, you right? You have to. I mean, he's Manny Machado. No, I mean, you live by the big four. You die by the big four. And Machado, I'd argue, is like more important to the Padres' success than Juan Soto is. Like, they were not in a position to go acquire Juan Soto if Manny Machado is not doing what he was doing, especially in the absence of Fernando Tatis. So I, I could make the argument here that Manny Machado is the most important piece for the San Diego Padres. And the reason they are three games under 500 is because Manny Machado has stunk through the first six yeah. weeks of the season. I think that's very fair. And and then you also got to think about it this way. Like, I think the easiest way for this team to upgrade is just to get another bat that can give you some consistency. Like, go get a DH-type piece. And I think they will, but you got, there, there's not that many of those types available right now. Like, you got to right. wait. You got to wait for the Marlins to stink and call about Jorge Soler. You got to wait for, you know, the Nationals to fully wave the white flag and call for whoever is over there. There's Manessis. No one really... yeah, yeah, Manessis maybe. And, and I think, like, you look at what Soto's doing defensively. Like, I think in, a, in the best world, you're putting him DH and, and getting someone that can move around a little bit more in a corner. So um, I think they're giving up a little bit on the defensive side. I think they're giving up a lot in the DH role and a lot in the in the catching role. And then Hassan Kim, I love him, but. And that guy's not been like holding up his end of the bargain either. No, no, which which really stinks. So I'm I'm worried about San Diego. It's really nice. And Blake Snell, by the way, I know the pitching's been good. Snell's been but terrible. Now yeah, you can't have a four six from Snell. Like, no, Darvish has been good. Lugo's Musgrove's been good. Been good. Musgrove, yeah. no, but Musgrove's got a six six overall. I think this year. Yeah, but Musgrove in May has been a lot better. He's he's but strung together. To get to this stuff. point, like those are two guys that have you know not held up their end of the bargain. So, For sure. I, I think the pitching's honestly going to naturally get better on its own. Like I, I am worried because like if those, I think what we've seen with with the concept of the Padres is that if one through four are not performing at an all star level, they're going to struggle to score runs. Yep. Yep. Which is so sad because the excitement level for San Diego 
off the freaking charts. And I hope that they can recapture that. I hope they will. I think. I think so. Like Machado is going to give us a 900 OPS June. I I really do feel that in my core. Yeah. And I think the best way to like compare it in terms of like leaving something to to be desired on the back end, like you get the twins and what they're getting from Joey Gallo right now. Is it going to last? Probably not. But, you know, he'll, he'll still be a good mistake hitter. He'll defend and whatever. And they're thriving now. They're getting that from Gallo while Buxton's 0 for 26. You yeah. know, and, and again, they're staying afloat. And I don't see anybody in the back half of that lineup, you know, stepping up. You mentioned how Outman stepped up for the Dodgers. Like that was while some of the other guys were struggling. Now yeah. your main guys are performing and out, <clears throat> Outman's come down to earth a little bit. But then Vargas has, you know, kicked it in a gear. Like the guys in the back half of that Padres lineup, I feel like I have to stretch my imagination a little bit more to see them pick up, you know, get hot and pick up their the the slack when when needed. Um and I think that's something that Preller will will be very eager to fix. So Austin Nola real quick before we move off is a liability and I I just don't understand the appeal with Austin Nola much at all here. 2021 he was a one win player in 56 games. He had a 100 WRC plus. 2022 in 110 games, he was a 0.2 win player with an 89 WRC plus. So far this year in 29 games, he's hitting a buck 48 with a 38 WRC plus, and he's a negative 0.5 win player. Like Nola was a 1.8 win player in 48 games in 2020. That's the only time he's been good in his career, right? Yeah. No, I, I agree. And he's been injured all the time since then. So it's just like he's a I, bad defender. He's a bad hitter. It's Stallings, man. You yeah, I was to say it reminds me of Stallings right now. And that's the craziest part is like you can upgrade that, you know. And I, I do think that that's playing a huge part in in their struggles. Is you have a just like a an absolute suck from the catching position. Like any yeah. momentum you have just is sucked out there. And then again, like it just it's I feel like when 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 the Padres are up and it's six, seven, eight, seven, eight, nine in the lineup. I just switched the channel. Like I'm just gonna because I know nothing's gonna happen that inning. I'm gonna I'm gonna go watch another game. Like yeah. and then I'll come back around with the top of the order. I don't I don't know if there's another team where I really do that. Again, even the Mets. Like you just go lineup through lineup through lineup. Like yeah, there's some teams that are underperforming, but like I look at the back half of the Mets lineup and those guys can get hot and, and carry you at For points. Sure. I like I don't see any other team in that tax bracket. And I'm not just talking about spending wise. I'm talking just like a talent wise. Like yeah. in that tier one that has such a steep drop off in their lineup. Not even not even the Los Angeles Angels. Like that's the one thing that they fixed I think going into this year is that you don't see that steep drop off in the back half of the lineup. Like you're going to get a little bit of something from Gio Urshela. You're going to get a little bit of something from Renfro. Um yeah, they they've even gotten stuff from like Zach Neto. Yeah, again, that's a guy that like I think will give you a little bit more. Um it's it's a really interesting situation with the Padres and you know, they do reload pretty well. So the system's not, you know, totally barren. It's not great, but it's not, you know, they have pieces like you mentioned. I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if they go out and make a move one way or another. Yeah, I could absolutely see that too. Again, the Angels 7, 8, and 9 in Sunday morning's game in Cleveland was Urshela, Renhifo, Neto. I'm not turning the channel on that. I'm turning the channel no. 7, 8, and 9 in San Diego. Yeah. 
Um, and especially if they had Ohapi too, you know, like again, that was just, it was now that's Chad Wallach, but you know, you can't fight them for that. Yeah. Like that, the, the Padres signed up for for Austin Nola. Exactly. Um, exactly. The they traded like some very good players for Austin Nola. Andres yeah, Munoz went back to Seattle for Austin Nola. Brash yeah. went back to Seattle for Austin Nola, right? That was uh, St. It was, yeah. How about Ty France? Ty France was in the North. Rash wasn't in this one. This one was, okay, he was in Taylor Trammell, Ty France, Luis Torrens, and Andres Munoz. So, yeah, Munoz was in that one. So, yeah, that that is disgustingly terrible. That's so bad, man. All right. Five hot maze that I want to run by you before we do some guesstimation to end the pod. I'm going to name a guy. I'm going to give you what they're doing in May so far. And you tell me if this bounce back from a rough April is valid or invalid. I picked bounce back guys like Mookie Betts has been awesome in May. Obviously, it's valid, right? Like he's Mookie Betts. That's how that works. Let's start with Soto staying on the Padre thing. 12 games. He's hitting 370. He's got an 1169 OPS, nine doubles in 12 games, nine RBIs, nine walks, eight Ks. I'm not asking you if they can keep the pace. I'm asking if the bounce back and getting to you know, where we expect these guys to be is valid. So is Juan Soto bouncing back? Yeah, you can put him in the Mookie bucket. Like, he's he's got it. You know, but he I, didn't have it in April. So I think that Juan Soto was a, like a classic case of a guy who hitting came so easy to for so long that he never knew what, what it was like to not have it. And I think trying to to find it again was such a foreign concept to him that I think it took longer than most. Like, oh, that guy's that talented, you know, shouldn't shouldn't slump that long. Everybody slumps. Mike Trout slumps. Bryce Harper slumps. All the best hitters slump. We hadn't really seen Juan Soto, you know, slump for a prolonged time. And, you know, I, I think that was a guy who had it and didn't even know what he had in, in a way. Like, people always say, like, Mickey Mantle couldn't tell you how to hit a baseball. I almost think Juan Soto, like, was one of those guys that just was born to know how to hit, and and he had never really had to – break it down this is speculative but that's how i because you were seeing all the experimental drills he was doing and things that he had never done before that was a guy that i don't think knew like i don't think he knew what it was like to lose it right and then he was like oh shit like time to figure it out it feels like he has figured it out and this may honestly make him a better hitter for the long haul in his career very possible very possible he was seeing 450 500 million start to evaporate before his eyes i think yeah, so we'll, we'll see what happens now, man. But if he strings together a great, you know, final five months of this season into a good postseason, we could see $100 million get tacked back on to what we thought might have dissipated because we finally saw a flaw in this guy. He turned yeah. from a $500 million player to a $300 million player, which is still one of the best players in baseball. But Juan Soto is better than that. Yeah, he is. I, I do wonder though, like what what is Juan Soto's value? Because he sucks so bad at defense, and, and I don't care. Like he's such a good hitter, he, but even as like a like a Jordan, like Jordan's not getting four fifty. No, why uh, is he not? Why is he any different than Jordan? Because he's so young, but Jordan's so young too. But Soto is going to hit like full blown free agency. I'm not talking arbitration. I'm talking yeah, full blown free agency. Jordan signed the pre arb. I wonder what Jordan would get on the open market. I feel like he would be viewed differently, even though like I bet somebody would pay. That. Yeah, I bet somebody. Different. I bet somebody would pay Jordan Alvarez ten years, three hundred million dollars. I do. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. 
But I 450, think, he turned down 450 apparently. It wants I know. I know. So, um I don't know. I could see Soto I guess judge money. That's crazy. Judge plays center. Like <laughs> again, I'm not trying to disparage Soto. He's one of the best left-handed hitters we've we've seen in, you know, yeah. the last several decades. But I do think it's interesting. I do think it's interesting. It's really weird. All right. Uh Luis Robert, 13 games, hitting 422, five doubles, six homers in May already. 14 RBIs, a 14.42 OPS. This guy's been the best hitter in baseball in the month of May. He was so hard to watch in the month of April when the White Sox were stinking it up. Luis Robert's not a bad player. I just want to get that out there. Luis Robert is an excellent baseball player. Is he made of glass? Yes. Does he have a very frustrating approach to the plate? Yes. But I'm telling you, Luis Robert's an all-star caliber player. I'm totally validating this. I'm in. Yeah. And look, this is a guy that's going to be streaky always, but I'm absolutely buying what, what we're seeing right now. Um, and, and there's a change in approach to go with it that I think really stands out. Um, he, he is His chase rate has dropped a little bit you know, as the year has gone on and, and through this stretch specifically. Yeah. And the other thing is he sees more sliders than fastballs at this point. And you know what he's doing? He's crushing sliders. Yeah. So he's staying on the baseball more. He he's not missing the mistake sliders. And you know, if you execute it, you can get him. He's a guy that like you execute your pitches really well. Yeah, you can put him away. But it's hard to always execute your pitches really well. And what he's doing now is when you don't execute, instead of fouling it off, he's hitting it out. And yeah. um I think he looks really, really damn good. We always knew he was gonna hit fastballs, but for him to be hitting these sliders better while also not swinging at them as much. That always bodes well. I'm in, too. I'm 100% in. I love that. How about Christian Yelich? 12 games, hitting 350, a double, four homers, 12 driven in. He's four for four in the stolen base department, and he's OPSing over 1,000 in 12 games in May. I love to see it. I can't buy it as much as I do with Luis Robert. No. I mean, look, I love to see it. Yeah. At the end of the day, this is a, this is a guy that's won an MVP and should have won a second one. Like he's gonna have his moments still. He's yeah. very he's very talented. He's thirty one. Like yeah. he's gonna have some decent stretches. Like he's never over the last couple of years. It's been massively disappointing, but he hasn't been some disaster. No, like he's, he's like a hundred WRC plus guy. He's like he's a little bit better, I think. Like yeah. he's he's a he's like a one ten WRC plus guy. Like he's he's fine. He's just but, not Yelich. Yeah, and, and I still think he's not Yelich. Like I, I the, the multi home run game was nice, but you look at. Everything you know, like the the data doesn't look much different. He's putting the ball on the ground still a ton. Uh, I, I hope it. I hope something clicks, but I doubt it. Yeah, like the hot stretch just kind of feels like Yelich, and he'll get out of this hot stretch. Unfortunately, and he'll you know get right back to his sixty percent ground ball rate that you feel a little bit more than a ground ball rate that's still apparent, but you're not feeling it as much because he's hitting the crap out of the ball in May. Uh, Anthony Rendon, 10 games, hitting 412 with a double, a homer, eight driven in. Uh, he's got a 1041 OPS. He's walked more than he struck out in these 10 games. If Rendon is great for the Angels, they are a team that can absolutely win a series in the postseason. Problem is, I don't buy it from Yelich. I don't really buy it from Rendon right now. I think we're pretty far removed from this guy being you know, one of the better players in baseball. Yeah. So what I do buy is that he found a way to be a 
pretty good hitter, kind of similar to Yelich. Like I think you know he's not going to be some like disaster. Like I think he's he's putting bat on ball, ninety percent zone contacts, pretty nuts. He doesn't chase. He walks more than he strikes out. Like he's a good bat to have in your lineup. The problem yeah. is also he just hit the IL like yeah. minutes ago. Like so. And now he's on the 10 day IL due to a groin strain. He should be back. But like, that's been the story, like the never ending story with Anthony Rendon is the injury. So I'm not buying that he'll ever be anything like the guy that, you know, paced the league in doubles and, and hit, hit 20 to 25 home runs. But I do think he can be a guy that hits for a high batting average and walks. And that's still a good piece for you. Yeah. Um, how do you, how do you view him? Like, obviously, he's not a $30 million player right now. How do you view him? What would you consider his market value right now? Do you think he's a $10 million player in 2020? Are we taking health out of the equation? No, health in the equation. Oh, man. Yeah, that's a really hard one. Like, if he's... Take health out of it, then. What do you think he is? Do you think he's... Based based on this new, powerless, but really good bat-to-ball Anthony Rendon... $15 $15 million player? Yeah, it's a 10, it's a $12, $15 million player. Three years, 45 for this. I mean, Which look at what Gene Segura got two years, 17. Like, he's a better version than Gene Segura. So like he's we're... Better. Yeah. Right, and and we're taking out like the weakest point of his game, which is availability, and we're saying that he's a fifteen million dollar player. He's getting right. paid double that. So you put in the weakest part of his game, which is he can't stay on the fucking field right now. I he, don't think anybody would give him more than you know, given all everything that's going on right now. I don't think anyone gives him more than ten a year. No, so I'm thinking if if he were to hit the open market next year, and obviously obviously he's not like he's you know secured in this three hundred million dollar deal. Um, but if he were to hit the open market Conforto style, I don't even think this guy's getting a Conforto contract. Nope. I don't think so either. I wouldn't like, because I, I just think it's too far fetched for him to like have it all click again. I, I like Conforto. You're like, Oh, let's see if he can bounce back. Um, you know, jock before, like, let's see what he does. Uh, even Bellinger. I, yeah. I thought that was a little bit more of a stretch, but like, you could still see it. Rendon with his injury history at 33 years old. Yeah. No. No. Um, all right. Last one for you. Riley Green, 12 games, 383, five doubles, a homer, eight driven in, three for three in the stolen base department. He's got a 973 OPS in 12 games in May so far. Green was off to a really rough start, much like Spencer Torkelson with Detroit in April. And Green was underwhelming last year. Torkelson was really underwhelming last year. The Detroit Tigers are praying that both Riley Green and Torque work out. What this 12-game sample in May is telling me is that it is exponentially more likely that Riley Green fulfills his prophecy or at least some subdued version of that than Spencer Torkelson at this point. Torque's showing some signs, though. He is. Some, but not as many as you would like to see. No. Like, the prodigious power is non-existent. And I understand it's Comerica, but, like, what happened to this beast of a man in spencer torkelson where did that go you're supposed to be a guy that kind of transcends the uh the the ballpark that you're not going to be worried about it i think that's why we were so supposed to be pete alonzo man like that was the billing that was the perfect comp um i'm i'm totally in on riley green because i i think that there's gonna be like some ebbs and he's 22 yeah uh, and he's got a similar situation where like he's got to get the ball in the air more but man, does he hit the ball hard? And if you look over the last handful of games, like who he's 
hitting the ball hard off of. Home run off of Verlander. I know he was just coming back, but I don't care. It's still an impressive home run. An absolute rocket off of Tanner Bybee. A 114-mile-an-hour shot off of Shane Bieber. Like, he hits the ball hard. And this might be a guy that takes a little bit longer to see the power kind of translate into games, but he's making better swing decisions. Um, he's hitting the ball hard, and I think he's starting to see some, some more consistency in driving it in the air. So... Um, I, I'm in on green. If I had to pick one, I wouldn't even hesitate. And I think green green is way more likely, like you said, to succeed. Um, but I think he's, he's finally starting to settle in. This is a guy that, you know, jumped through the minors pretty quickly as a high school bat. So 22 years old, like it can take a little bit of time. Yep. Real quick, two contract estimations for you before we part. Mitch Keller and the Pirates have apparently been in contact regarding an extension that's from Bob Nightingale. Uh, and then Marcus Stroman and the Cubs apparently started extension talks, according to Matty Lee of the Chicago Sun-Times. They had preliminary extension talks this spring. Nothing concrete has come from that. We'll start with Keller we'll, and we're Stroman. Um, Keller's making 2.4 this year. He's got two more years of arbitration. Mark Polishuk wrote this up on MLB Trade Rumors, and he cited Logan Webb's five-year $90 million extension. No. I know. Kind of crazy. Um what he was comparing was service time. So the Giants bought out two arbitration years, which the Pirates would be doing, and then three open market years. Webb is a year younger than Keller. But here's the big difference. Logan Webb, in 494 innings to this point in his career, has a 3.45 career ERA. Mitch Keller has thrown 100 fewer innings and his ERA is 1.2 runs higher. So we're comparing a guy that has thrown 494 to 386 in Keller and Webb, who had a 345, to Keller's 462. Keller's not close to this five-year 90. I think the Pirates could do six years 70 for Mitch Keller. It, I think that's even pretty generous. Really? Um, like, I, I, I just I want to see... Last 32 starts, he's got a sub three. I know, I know. That is a very impressive stat. Um, and maybe it's just like the name association for me still, but it probably is. Six for 70. Like, I I, I guess that in, in the market now, if you think about what we're seeing, like Taiwan Walker get. I think that is. I think that is uh, exactly on the money. Honestly, I think that is pretty fair. I I don't know if I would do it, but I mean, the Pirates need to start looking at you know longevity and solidifying the core, and this is a great way to do it. I, I think that's about right. I think that's about right. So if you could give Keller six for seventy, or Rowanzi Contreras seven for a hundred, what would you do? Uh, I'd rather give Keller that deal. Okay. Yeah. How about? Six for 70, if you knew both those guys were going to say yes, who do you give the deal to? I mean, we got to see Roanzi like actually succeed at the big league level. I know. So I'd say Mitch Keller. But like, that's the thing. So Bob Nutting, the Pirates owner, after they signed Reynolds, I think it was during the press conference, he said, we're looking to extend some other pieces of the core. Obviously, O'Neill Cruz should be at the top of that list. But after that, man, like, who are the extension candidates on this team? Because they already locked up Reynolds. They already locked up Hayes. Give me Cruz, and then I—I I mean, it's Keller and Contreras, right? I like I, yeah. I you could get Contreras for like nothing. I think honestly, with how many years guy, he has leveraged against him, and in the lack of of consistent performance, I think you could get you could sign him for a very very cheap pre-arb deal. Seven um, for fifty. What was it? 
seven for fifty. I think you can go even cheaper than that. You got to look at what uh, Sandy signed. I think it was one five for fifty four. Yeah, and that was one less year of control, okay. but still, like I think I think you can go really cheap, <laughs> really cheap on Rowanzi. But something along those lines, I think would totally work. I think it's worth it just because he's such a talented arm. Like he'll be in the mix one way or another. You'll never be like losing sleep over it. But otherwise, yeah, I, I don't like David Bednar. Like that's a guy that I don't like paying relievers, but I think Ooh. it's pretty, pretty proven now that this guy just will be good. <laughs> like he's just gonna be a good reliever for you. You ran out of gas at the end of last year because they ran him in the ground. But now he's had two consecutive fantastic seasons, and he's been even better this year. That's a guy I will give a deal to also. Okay, got you. Um, Yeah, I think six for 65. Keller, final offer there. Yeah, I think that's fair. Okay. How about Stroman? Let, let's end with Stroman. Allegedly, this again, this is from Matty Lee from the Sun-Times. The Cubs and Marcus Stroman started talking possible extension this offseason. I don't know what that deal looks like at all. Is it a Lance Lynn extension where he's making 19 and a half in like a two-year extension, a three-year extension? Like, how many years do you want Marcus Stroman for? There's a ton of ammo coming through this Cubs farm system right now in terms of starting pitching. Like, I would view him as a, a, a gap bridger to the youngest arm. So, like, set an ETA for Cade Horton have Stroman signed through that year. If Cade Horton's ETA is 2025, give me Stroman on a two-year extension. So that's the interesting thing. So he's making 25 this year. He's got a player option for 21 next year. He's going to turn that down. I think that's why we're having these, we're seeing these negotiations, right? Because 21 million for one year, if he hits the open market, you know, we were just talking about with Taiwan. I use him as the barometer. Like he'll get more than Taiwan Walker. Um, I, I think you go three-year deal. I don't want a guy like Marcus Stroman in his age 36, 30, 37 seasons, though he is a guy that could age pretty well with his command, the way he mixes pitches, how athletic he is. But I think if you go with like a three-year, you got a top 21, though. So yeah, that's the way you got to think about it. Yep. It would be what? He probably wants four. I bet he wants four. Would you give him four years? Age 33, age 34, age 35, age 36? At 20 annually? At 20 annually, four for 80? Oh, I don't think so. With incentives? That's the market, though. God, I don't like, know. Would you rather have him at four for 80 or Taiwan Walker at four for 72? I'd rather have him at four for 80. So I think you got to bump that shit up to 85. I think it's four for 85. Mm, that's crazy, man. Welcome to the pitching market. I was going to say, dude, like, that is crazy. Taiwan Walker might have changed the market. I don't know if anyone else uses him as a barometer, but that's my barometer. If that guy gets four years, 72, like, something. <laughs> that there was, there was one or two. I mean, Chris Bassett as well. I think him and Bassett are relatively similar, Stroman and Bassett, when you think about it. Like, yeah. I know they're not the same type of pitcher, but you look statistically, you look at age. Uh, I know he's, he's a little bit younger, but – it's it's not too far off, and what did Bassett get? Three years, sixty three. I think four years, eighty five is about right. Four years, eighty five. Okay, I'm here for it. Um, all right. Last thing before we go, NBA draft lottery tonight at eight o'clock. Who wins the Wemby sweepstakes? 
there's never been a more important one, right? Uh, maybe the LeBron one, maybe the Pat Ewing one when the Knicks got it. Who wins oh, yeah, the, the rigged one? Yeah, the yeah. rigged one. Who wins the Wembanyama sweepstakes? What's the probability? Who are the favorites? It's a, three teams would be equally favorites, right? Yeah, so Detroit, Houston, San Antonio are at 14%. Give me the Indiana Pacers at 6.8%. I said it's a year of Chicago at 0.5%. It's the year of Chicago for number one picks. They already, they already did the D. Rose thing. Like that that's my thing. Like they've already won their lottery when it came to the NBA draft this century. No, I know, but winning the NHL, uh, to have the NHL number one pick, apparently they've got like the hockey one, Banyama, going on right now. Or yeah, something Connor like Bedard. Yeah. I can't wait to get back into hockey. Haven't watched yeah. since they won the Stanley uh, Cup. Apparently he's like that dude. Um, I, I'm gonna go with the with the Spurs because it's just they're they they're, they they don't go away and they've been away for like two years now and I feel like this is it's just so classic. Pop's gonna put the order in. He's gonna stay now for like five more years. I, I think it's I could just totally see him in a boring ass Spurs jersey. That's my prediction. Okay. Um I want Wemby as an Indiana Pacer. A lot of these young Pacers live in my apartment complex because I'm right near Gainbridge. So I want Wemby and I to be apartment mates. And I want to see him like Ben Matherin's got a couple of little French bulldogs that I've seen. So I, I'm thinking like if Wemby gets a Frenchie and I just run into him like nice fall day sitting outside, I'll be like, hey man, let's talk about life. You wanna Yeah. What do you want to hit on? So I want Wemby to be my new best friend. So that, that's what I'm rooting for. I don't blame you. He's generational. Yep. All right. Just baseball show presented by BetMGM. Use either of the promo cards in our show notes. Get your merch. Sign up. Draft a fantasy team on So Rare. We've got some fun stuff dropping a little bit later this week in that regard. And uh, we'll talk to you guys tomorrow. 